live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho. Duro, Parlay, Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned into the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to interact with you. So make sure to swing on over to ODPHpodcast.com, joining the conversation on the social media accounts. They're all right there on the front page. It's so easy to follow, so easy to interact, so easy to connect with the panel about the topics we're talking about today. You also want to check out Parlay Points. New blogs drop in, so definitely more content for you post-show. Who does it better? I don't know. I don't know. But we're going to find out one, uh, one day, but for right now, we're taking that crown. You can also check out the classified section, the directory, which has got a lot of podcast providers on there. We always emphasize it at the end of the show, but seriously, if we're not on your favorite podcast player, we need to know what you're listening to us on, and we need to make sure it's on there for you. Check out the T Public Store sale going on this week, Pad. hey So you know it's no better time to go get some ODPH swag than right now. So make sure to swing on over there. Check out the Patreon, which is going on. So definitely shout out to 3FN, shout out to Soul Wizard, shout out to SWO Productions, and shout out to The Pint for being our patrons. And we definitely appreciate all the support there. For everything and anything that is the ODPH. It's simply found at odphpodcast.com. So, Pad, let's not waste any more time. We got a loaded show. We got to get into this. Kicking off this edition of the podcast, we have to recap the first episode of a much hyped show Mm -hmm. on Disney Plus that came in under the Marvel Cinematic Universe banner. Yep. We've been hyping it a little bit, but the first episode did drop. Uh, got mostly positive reviews. Yeah. We don't listen to any of the review bombing sites that just are allowing people to spam it with whatever. We like to say we go to trusted sources. We get honest opinions. We don't want to do any spoilers, but we definitely had to hear what the temp in the room was about She-Hulk attorney at law. So this show definitely had a lot of hype behind it, as we alluded to. Tatiana Maslany is playing the title role of Jennifer Walters. Mark Ruffalo reprises his role as Bruce Banner, a.k.a. the Hulk, and has introduced us to a very quirky show Mm -hmm. that definitely has won us over. So, Pad, as we do with every single recap that we do on the show, we give a spoiler-free statement, and then we go into the countdown. After the countdown is spoiler talk time, so we give you fair warning if you need to pause the episode. So before we get there, let's get that spoiler-free statement on She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. I thought it was an all right episode. You know, it was a very heavy origin episode, so there wasn't really much going on, and it doesn't even feel like the story's fully started yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I still enjoyed it. You know, the fourth wall breaking was fun. You know, I'm willing to give it some more time, but like, because it's, it's like nine episodes, ten episodes, something like that. You know, but for a first episode, not the best first step forward, but it was all right. For me, I really enjoyed this episode. Because the one thing that I was very curious to see if Disney Plus was going to be able to pull off with Marvel Studios was something different. A new vibe, something we haven't seen before. And I really thought She-Hulk Attorney at Law really danced on the line of the fourth wall breaking. Mm -hmm. While giving us a very interesting origin story that didn't feel like every single other origin story we've seen. Yep. It had its own unique feel to it. It definitely stood out. 
And by the time we got to the end of the episode, I was very excited to see what direction we're going in because it ends on a strong note. Yeah. A little bit of a surprise, but not so much. But where we're going from here is anybody's guess. So I think there's going to be a lot that we have to look forward to. That being said, in three, two, one, it's spoiler talk time, Pad. Let me know what you really thought. Like I said, I thought it was an all right episode. Could have been a little bit better, but I still enjoyed it for the most part. You know, the fourth wall breaking was fun and and seeing how they were going to do the origin, because I know that was something a lot of people were wondering how they were going to do, whether it was going to be, you know, the blood transfusion, you know, or something else. That was cool to see. You know, I'm interested to see where it goes from here. I really loved what they did here. I know they took some liberties with the origin, but I was not mad about it. And I thought they did it very Disney like. And usually I'm very critical about that. But I really thought that they nailed it right out of the park. They captured the vibe of a lot of the Dan Slott comics. A little bit of the John Byrne mixed into, but it definitely had that unique feel about the fourth wall is breaking. We're still in a superhero universe. We're not going to dabble too much into the fourth wall breaking. Mm -hmm. Not so much like Deadpool, I think, relies a lot on the fourth wall breaking. Yeah. Which it, it works. I'm not meaning that in any negative connotation. I'm saying just for this show, it really captured my attention and really had me excited to see where we're going here. Because when we start off with this episode, we're already breaking the fourth wall. You have Jennifer Walters talking to her assistant mm -hmm. and breaking down the case that she's working. She's working on her fi final dissertations, and she is breaking the fourth wall just a little bit, too. Yep. So we're getting a little ahead of ourselves because at this point she more or less says, I have to go back and explain, oh, yeah, I'm She-Hulk attorney at law. Yeah, weird, weird that you're here. Let me explain this. Yes. So then we go back a couple months where there's an incident where she is driving with her cousin, Bruce Banner. Yep. And they're going down a highway. And then we just have a normal family time talk. And all of a sudden you see a spaceship mm -hmm. come right in front of them. Uh-huh. Now, this was not any normal spaceship. This is one from Sakaar, mm -hmm. which is noted for Planet Hulk, uh, if memory serves me right. Okay. So that's why I was saying they're going, hmm. I don't know if we're necessarily going this route, per se. I, like, right. I, I don't think they're going this route yet. I think down the road they might, because I know there's been some rumblings and some rumors in here say about the rights to the Hulk, mm -hmm. um, supposedly going back to uh, Marvel. We'll see. Uh, but I, I did pick up on the name. I wasn't quite sure what it was, and I just never got around to Googling or figuring out what it was. But it wasn't one I recognized from the films that had already aired. Mm hmm so I figured, all right, this has got to be setting up something for down the road. This isn't just like a throwaway. Oh, we just need to make up a name for a spaceship that shows up. Oh, let's go with that. No, because I know that in the comics anyway, it's relying more on Planet Hulk. But on the MCU, this is the Grandmaster's planet. Mm -hmm. So the Grandmaster, obviously, we saw in Thor Ragnarok and how he captured the Hulk. We never really got any kind of clarification what was going on there. Right. It just kind of, what was it, Pad? Reasons. So we just kind of rolled with it. So I know in the MCU, they refer to Sakaar as that. For the Grandmaster. I always kind of take it as Planet Hulk because I don't think we're ever going to really see a Planet Hulk, but I think they're going to kind of tie maybe if they want to go back in the MCU history and do that. Could be. It'll kind of all tie together there. So that's where I'm rolling with that. But you have the spaceship mysteriously it just appear out of the sky. It causes a car crash. You see that Jennifer Walters is hurt during this, mm -hmm. and you're seeing that Bruce Banner is bleeding, and thus you see blood drip out of him into her open wound. All the meanwhile, there's a beeping going on in the background for some device he has on, and he just keeps moaning. The, the containment device, or I forget what he said. It was something like that. Yeah, it was something about managing the Hulk yeah. in, in him, and it's because yeah. we see a lot of the 
time away from the Avengers, he's been working on trying to regulate what he can do as the Hulk and merge the personalities together. Which, if you've read the Hulk comics over the years, this is nothing really new. It's just a new interpretation that we're seeing in the MCU, as in cinematic mm-hmm. comics universe. It dabbles a lot. I'm still waiting for Mr. Fix-It, though. <laughs> I'm still holding out. Hope we get him on there. But nevertheless, we see that Jennifer Walters has now been affected, and she is now turning into a Hulk because we see her just Hulk out and run into the forest of where they are, and then magically she wakes up in Bruce Banner's uh, Hulk cave. Yeah. I mean, how else do you describe this? Pat? I mean, it's a Hulk cave. It's It's got all the accoutrements you would expect like Batman to have, but it's on a beachfront property. Yes. He's, he's somewhere out of the United States. I believe he's in Mexico. If somewhere, right. south, somewhere south of the U.S. border. Yeah they, yeah. they never outright say, but it's tropical. It's sunny and there's a beach. Yes. So he is definitely secluded. And this is where he's been basically trying to do his memoirs about gamma radiation and the effects it has on humans. They never said, but I'm going to go with he's in Tahiti. Why? Because it's a magical place. Oh, well played. I'm going to roll with that now. So he's in Tahiti. We're just going to roll with that for here. And you're seeing that he is now trying to talk to Jennifer Walters and just basically say, this is how you handle being a Hulk. Mm -hmm. Because it's not exactly as easy as it seems per se. It's been an ordeal for him for the better part of like 10 years. Yeah, he hasn't been able to manage this. But one thing that he notices right off the bat is Jennifer Walters has merged with her She-Hulk persona. Yeah. So there is no split personality like you see with Banner and the Hulk. There's no voices in his head. Right. Or her head, I should say. Exactly. They're just one over-exaggeration of her personality. Yeah. That's the easiest way, but that's how they do it in the comics, too. Yep. Which is a very interesting thing to see on screen, and I thought Maslany absolutely hit it out of the park with this. Oh, yeah. Because she's playing in this, like, well, I know what I am. I don't want to be a superhero. I want to be back to being a lawyer. And Banner is saying, well, any normalcy you just had went out the window. That's never going to be the case again. Mm-hmm. So here, you can start going through my <laughs> my um, handbook, I guess you could say, yeah, of How to Be a Hulk 101. And she's just reading and going like, well, what are we doing here? So he's just now experimenting with her about what triggers her personality to jump out like that. There's always a funny scene that we see in the commercials where she's sleeping and he hits her with an air horn. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. she magically wakes up as a Hulk and, and goes in that direction. And then we see another instance where she is in a danger room-esque Kinda. contraption where the walls have spinning blades and are coming towards her. So, and Banner is just sitting there. Now, granted, he's Hulk Banner at this point. Yep. So he is observing what is happening, and you see that she breaks the machines, and it goes through, and he always gives a, yeah, and then she's so Mm -hmm. mad at him, she rips off the door. He's like, no. So they do play a lot of the humor in here, and that's one thing that we really need to remember with this show, is it's not going to be exactly in-your-face action. Mm-hmm. They are going to dabble in humor. They're going to dabble in more of drama. Oh, yeah. There's going to be serious moments, but there's also going to be comedic moments. Yeah. Let's say dramedy is probably the best word for the show. I would agree, yeah. And you do see, though, they are going through a lot of the training montage. Yep. And you're also seeing just a lot of how Jennifer Walters is handling all this, too. Because she is someone who does not want to be a superhero in any way, shape, or form. No, because there's multiple times she just looks at him and goes, undo this. Like, put me back. Get rid of this. I don't want this. And he's like, eh, sorry, that's I would, but that's not how this works. Yeah, because he's now just seeing they're watching her excel at being a Hulk more than he has. Mm-hmm. Which is a little bitter pill for him to swallow. Mm-hmm. Because he does ex- express a lot of times during this episode of jealousy and envy. Yeah, and I, and I think with the whole, I'll t- put me back, put me back. What, I'm surprised that Banner didn't say to her, listen, if you think I had that ability, don't you think I would have done that by now rather than go through the hell I have? Mm-hmm. 
And it's always just kind of interesting to see how this all plays out. Because with Banner, you think now that he's accepted being Hulk and he's yeah, almost in the... He's in a good place. He's in the perfection of Hulk, I guess you could say. Kind of. It's a weird variable because, I mean... He does have control. He has the best of both worlds. Yeah, he does. He has Banner's brain and Hulk's rage. I mean, uh, strength, rather. Yeah. Even though it's based off rage, but, yeah. you know, reasons. We just kind of roll with it. And you do see they do have a heart-to-heart at Banner's cabana. Mm-hmm. So there's the bar scene. Yeah, there is. Where there is the infamous Steve Rogers question. Oh, boy. Because, obviously, they're testing the uh, tolerance mm-hmm. of, uh, of a Hulk with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And it does bring out some humor about, you know, is Captain America really a virgin or not? Yeah, well, that's the thing he tells her. He's like, hey, there's a lot of negatives to being a Hulk, but there's one positive. He can drink all the alcohol you want. The one thing he didn't tell her, he could wake up with a massive hangover. Yeah, so it does play into the humor of that, too. And you do see a little more training yep. where there's all this, like, the yoga poses. And <laughs> you're seeing that, you know, Jennifer Walters is just excelling at this. Yep. And, and Banner is just saying they're so frustrated. Oh, but, yeah. but for being an origin episode, this wasn't so distracting and it wasn't so no, repetitive. The, they kept it singularly focused. You know, they didn't go off and start introducing other aspects or other you know, portions of the story, which would have been distracting. They kept it focused. They kept it straight. You know, they introduced a little bit of like, hey, she's a lawyer. We're going to show some of the lawyer scenes because duh. But like it, that was very little. That was barely like 2% of the show, I would say. Mm-hmm. You know, the the bulk of it was just, hey, here's her training. Yeah. And then it ultimately ends up when she is trying to leave. Banner tries to stop. They do get into the superhero fight between them. And it's a fun fight, too. Like it's just yeah. it's like siblings fighting. That's the easiest way to describe it. And you just see they're just tearing up this tropical paradise. And it's a fun watch. Then it plays right into the whole superhero myth. Mm-hmm. That obviously, superheroes fight each other all the time. Yeah. For you know whatever reason they, yeah. they come up with. She-Hulk is now getting the one up on Banner. They're having the back and forth. Until Banner just finally agrees to say, okay, if you want to go back, go back. And you do see that Jennifer Walters does try going back to the normal life. However, it just doesn't work out that way as much as she wants to try. much as you try to keep it out, it has a way of creeping back in. Yes. And where the episode kind of wraps up, too, is we go back to the courtroom. Mm-hmm. So she is now having her final dissertation for the case that she's working on. And it does get interrupted. And this is where the whole banner was trying to warn and say, hey... You're never going to have a normal superhero life. Yeah, she doesn't even get her, her life. Rather, she doesn't even get her closing arguments, and like she stands up to start giving her closing arguments, and the door busts off the hinges, and all hell breaks loose. Yes, and uh, who who's that coming through the door? Titania, mm-hmm. who's played by Jamila Jamil, mm-hmm. and this is a notable Hulk and She Hulk villain. So always cool to see her make a quick appearance, even though She Hulk does appear again here in the courtroom. Yep, there is a little. Uh, Dare I say skirmish? A little bit. There's a there's a scuffle. Yeah, there's a little scuffle. So obviously it's going to lead to more down the road. Yeah. But after She-Hulk takes care of her, she goes back to normal yeah. and returns to close the arguments out. She's like, all right, I'm ready to begin my closing argument as if, you know, the entire courtroom hasn't been destroyed. Yes. And that's how the show ends. There is the bonus scene, too, about the uh, whole Captain America thing, too, which, which is amazing which in got, its own Which right. got a great response from Chris Evans on Twitter. You, yes. should, you should look it up if you haven't seen it. Oh, it's fantastic, because you get the answer if Captain America is really a virgin or not. But it goes back to the where the show's strength is, and I thought the writing was very sharp with this. I know that 
uh, Maslani absolutely was taking the craziness of the superhero world and just exemplifying it mm-hmm. and really just played into that when she broke in the fourth wall. Like, she didn't do a lot of it. No, it, it wasn't overbearing or overdone. as like, hey, we know this really worked for Deadpool, so why don't we do it? Exactly. Like I say, this has always been around since the John Byrne run, and I know Dan Slott has dipped into this a little bit too, and they did not go heavy with this, and that's mm-hmm. one thing I like is they really just let her character be her character. Yeah. That now she's accepted that she's going to be a person of interest for being someone with with powers. Yeah. And Bruce Banner's character was trying to tell her, like, you know, you don't have a normal life anymore, no matter how much you want to try. That's why I've tried remaining a low profile. That's why he's disappeared off the grid as much as he has, and he built the Hulk cave. Yeah. He's trying to really get back to a a sense of normalcy, even though he saved the world and obviously did the Infinity Gauntlet snap. Yep. It still is a case where he understands the pressure of this. That's the other thing, too, that you just reminded me of by mentioning bringing up the Infinity Gauntlet. The thing we got to remember or bring up is that when the accident happened and their blood mixed together, Hulk's arm got fixed. Yes. We almost for, almost forgot about that as, uh, because their blood mixed together and he got a little bit of her She-Hulk blood, I guess you could say, in in him. Uh, his arm that was crippled and in the sling from using the Infinity Gauntlet is now healed. Yeah, and that's something they really just never followed up on. They might they might down the road. I mean, down the road, I think they have to because, you, you know, come to think of it, you are right about that. I completely missed over that. Yeah. But I'm also thinking like... Well, because it was kind of like a blink and you miss a thing that like... He comes to and it's like after the accident, he's like, hey, weird, you know, your your blood healed my arm. Yeah. And he holds up the arm that was in the sling and like had been injured from the snap, you know, and it's perfectly fine. Yeah, it's it's a crazy scenario with this, too, which I don't know how kind of overpowered, if I'm being honest. Well, it's something that they're going to have to delve into, I think. Yeah. The, the fact that they did do that. It's and almost that- like Wolverine's healing factor. Yeah, I mean, but... In a a sense. In a sense, too, because, I mean, the Hulk has always had a healing factor. Sure. It's just something with the gamma radiation. But it's also a weird thing to see how this plays in with She-Hulk because you never really hear about that too much with her. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's just this weird balance that they're going to have to really explain when they start getting the show rolling, which, we, like you said, we have nine episodes more coming. So they're going to definitely have a lot of time to do this. It's just a fact of where they want to go with the direction. But I thought for the performances they had... And this was pretty much all Mark Ruffalo and Tatiana Maslany. Yeah. So there really wasn't a lot of other characters involved until like the very end and when they went back to the courtroom. But it showed that one-on-one, it was almost like the passing of the torch. Like that's kind of how it felt. That in this next version of the MCU or phase or however you want to define it, obviously She-Hulk is going to have a bigger role in the overall Avengers picture. Mm Mm-hmm. Where Bruce Banner's character goes is really anybody's guess. Yeah. The fact that we saw that spaceship, that's why I immediately started thinking of Planet Hulk. Could be. Because that's something that I know the fans have always asked for. Yeah. And I think what you're going to see is they're not going to go full Planet Hulk because it has to go to World War Hulk. Right. And I think for as far as the movies go, that's going to be hard to pull off. Sure. Because obviously all roads point to Secret Wars. Well, and and there's been there they might be some setting something up because for the first time in a long time that like since I've been kind of looking at rumors and following rumors online, you know, there's been mention of the rights going back to Marvel, which is not something that's something that has never happened before, and if it has, it's slipped by me. Mm-hmm. But there's been rumors and rumblings, and I want to stress, they're just that, rumors and rumblings. It's yeah. nothing confirmed It's until it comes from a variety or a deadline or even Marvel itself. I take it with a grain of salt. As you should, yeah. But there's been rumors and rumblings that 
the rights are going back to Disney if they're not back already. So they could very well be setting something up now that they finally, if it's true, they have the rights back and they're able to do something without the legal loopholes they'd have to jump through. That would be something. I mean, I'd love to see another Hulk movie, to be Mm -hmm. honest with you. Oh, I would too. Well, I'd like to see a Hulk movie with Mark Ruffalo in it because he's been... The, he's been a great actor as the Hulk. He's never gotten his shake at a solo movie. Yeah, and I think if they tried doing Planet Hulk, that would be something up Disney's alley. Sure. But it just depends on how they want to do it because they would have to change the ending from the comic because there's no way that I, I can't see them doing World War Hulk. Sure. I mean, they could, sure. Sure. But unless you're going to really try forcing that in along with the Kang Dynasty and, and Secret Wars, the, the big Avengers movies coming out. Sure. Like, World War Hulk is that kind of big movie. Like, everybody would have to be in it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they would do that, though. Right. That's why I say, like, I think you're going to have a backstory where Planet Hulk was when he was on the Grandmaster's planet. So it's interesting to see how they pull that off. But I'm still excited to see where they're going with this franchise. And I think for the first episode, they really hit it out of the park about establishing what it's going to be. It's going to be a dramedy with a lot of humor. And it's going to be something different than we've seen in the MCU thus far. So I'm perfectly fine with this. Final thoughts on the episode, Pat? Great episode overall. You know, not a home run for me. It was I would say it was a uh, uh, head first slide into third base. You know, okay, it was a triple. Uh, enjoyed it, and I am excited to see where it goes from here because I'm I'm excited for it. Yeah, absolutely. So we gave you our takes on She-Hulk: Attorney of Law. This on every Thursday, Disney Plus, courtesy of Marvel Studios. But now we want to hear your takes, ODPH Society. Hit us up on the hashtag hashtag ODPH Pod. Your first episode's reaction. We want to know what you thought of She-Hulk Attorney at Law. So hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Calling all movie buffs, cinema lovers, and film fanatics. Welcome to the Silver Screen Savers Podcast. I'm Michael Gallup. I'm Matt Sturdivant. And I'm Tyler Sukas. And we're a show for movie fans by movie fans. Every week, you can catch us discussing the world of cinema, including dissection of films both new and old, our takes on what's to come, career retrospectives of the most prolific names in the business, and much, much more. Listen in via your favorite podcasting apps, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, and more. You could also join the discussion and leave suggestions for future content by writing to us at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com, following us at screensaverspod on both Instagram and Twitter, as well as liking us on Facebook at Silver Screen Savers Podcast. We'll see you at the cinema. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. And there was a show that arguably it could have taken the first segment. Mm-hmm. It really could because how many viewers check this show out, Pat? Uh, according to the article I have up from Deadline.com, uh, nearly 10 million viewers. Uh, so the article reads, quote, history was made at HBO with the debut of House of the Dragon. The Game of Thrones prequel drew 9.986 million viewers across linear and HBO Max platforms in the U.S. Sunday, the largest audience for any new original series in the history of pay cabler. Uh, the premiere also marked the largest series max launch on HBO Max across the United States, Latin America, Europe, the Middle East and Africa driving what HBO calls an unprecedented level of concurrent streams on the platform. Typically, Sunday night viewership for an HBO series will represent just 20 to 40% of the show's total gross audience, according to the network. Uh, Close quote. This show was being watched by so many goddamn people that for some, and I heard it was primarily Amazon Fire users, it crashed the app. I believe it, because I think where we were talking about this show last week, 
we were really saying how many people are still into Game of Thrones. Because mm-hmm. it's been a little quiet. Apparently, there's a lot of them. There was a lot that tuned in to see House of the Dragon. And there's a wild video you should look up where it's a video from New York City. It's an apartment building. And there's got to be like, what would you say? Like between a quarter and half of the apartments. Easy half. Easy half the half the apartments in this building in New York City are, are watching it at the same time. And like you can see the colors changing at the exact same time. So you know they're watching the exact same thing. It's the wildest video I've seen in a while. And it's one thing, too, like we say, for this fan base, which we all thought went away or was hibernating, we were optimistic, like, okay, people are going to turn out in force for this. I didn't think it was going to be this big. I knew it would be big, but I didn't know it would be like 10 million people. Yeah, like I had about 6 million. Sure. Like, that was my fair estimate for it, because obviously how the last season of Game of Thrones ended, I figured maybe people tuned out. Yeah. But... Man, were we wrong. Yeah. And there is a lot to dissect about this series and show. So that being said, we are going to be recapping the first episode of House of the Dragon, the prequel for Game of Thrones. Spoiler-free statement time. And then, obviously, after we go with the countdown, it is spoiler talk time. So you have been fair warned if you need to pause this podcast. If not, join the conversation. We get rocking and rolling from there. But, Pat, spoiler-free statement first and foremost. I was really nervous and trep- and had some trepidations about the show, just given how the last season went. You know, I've, I've read the books. I'm a fan of the books. I'm a fan of the first number of seasons of Game of Thrones, but I did not like what they did with the final season. So, And, and I even said, you know, when I went to go watch it, please, for the love of God, don't let this suck. Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm a big fan of, of you know, fantasy shows, you know, and and I was a big fan of Game of Game of Thrones up until the last season, and I, and I like a good redemption story. You know, rising from the ashes of of mediocrity and and coming back strong. You know, and I and I was optimistic. You know, George R. R. Martin was more involved with this than he was in the final season because, according to Martin, he was not involved at all in the final few seasons. You know, the two producers who were involved for Game of Thrones were not involved with this anyway. So I'm like, all right, there's at least some puzzle pieces in the right spot that I can agree with on this aspect. But still, it's all about the execution. And and when it came down to it, I enjoyed it. It was good, but I got to see more. You know, it was a, it was a lot of world building and it was a lot of setting stuff up and, and making a point to say this isn't Game of Thrones. It's in the same universe. And it's some of the names you might have heard before if you paid attention or, or read the books on on the the normal mainline series, I guess you could say. But this isn't season eight. This isn't the traditional seasons you're used to. This is going to be different. So I enjoyed it. I thought the show was okay. I wasn't exactly blown away by the first episode, but I want to clarify something first. Sure. I had this, this was deja vu for the first time I watched the first episode of Game of Thrones. Sure. I wasn't fully in about this one. Mm-hmm. And I, it took me about to like episode four or five before I got into Game of Thrones. I'm like, okay, I get here. Oh, I, I'm with you there. Because yeah. there's a lot of moving parts going on here. The performances were good. You know, the performance, act, Matt Smith stole this show. Matt Smith was great. You know, the action sequences were good. But just in terms of the story, there wasn't much story going on. Because it's 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 world building. It's yeah. world building again. I mean, the world is already there because it's it's and this isn't a spoiler. You know, it's primarily in King's Landing, which you know from Game of Thrones. Mm. You know, but it's also not the King's Landing you're used to, and and all this other stuff. So it was a lot of world building. But like, no, I'm with you. 
it was good and I enjoyed it and there was a lot I liked about it, but like I wasn't fully like, yes, I'm in. I got to see the next episode. Like I'm going to watch the next episode. Yeah. But like I wasn't like chomping at the bit like I was for some of the Game of Thrones episodes where I'm like, holy fuck, I don't want to wait another week for the next episode. Yeah, because there was a lot that I was getting confused with. And but this is also goes in the world building because because where it's all centered. I still thought it was a good episode. I thought Matt Smith stole the show. I thought mm-hmm. he. I thought he was oh, absolutely. Great. He's the only character that I really am like. Okay, I, I'm invested in watching. Everybody else was. He's good at playing a villain. What can I say? Yeah, well, he's great. I mean, you saw the epic work in Morbius. Yeah, no, I didn't. I never. <laughs> I never saw that movie. I was almost going to get you on that one, but I thought for what they did is it definitely laid the groundwork. I mm-hmm. think there still need to be a little more. I think there was a little more shock value that they did for this first episode, which I didn't like a little bit. But I understand why. So. A lot of promise here. Would not say this was a home run. Mm-hmm. Would put this around like if I have to give a letter grade, maybe a B minus B range. I agree with that. Yeah, that's you know, that's fair. That's it's somewhere that's around. Fair. It's somewhere around that yeah. level. Yeah. But it's something that, for all the hype and seeing the reaction online to it, uh-huh. I think that this could be something big if they play their cards right. I would say this: if you were a ga- if you didn't watch this because you were busy, whatever else, but you were a fan of Game of Thrones, I'd give it a shot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's definitely worth. I'm not going to say it's for everybody. You know, everyone's going to love this. This is the next greatest TV show. I think for right now, it's a kind of by your own taste and your own opinion. You know, so I would say give the first episode a shot and and go from there. I would say if you liked Game of Thrones, you might like this. Yes. I'm not, I'm not going to say everyone's going to like it. You know, because I can't speak for everyone. But I would say if you enjoy Game of Thrones, give it a shot. So that said, in three, two, one. Pad, what did you really think? Like I said, I thought I, I enjoyed the episode. You know, I enjoyed the action and the acting, you know, but it just needs a little bit more going on and I need a little bit more story and maybe a wider scope. Maybe I'm just so used to how things were with Game of Thrones, you know, where we have multiple storylines, multiple plot lines and multiple backstabbings going on. You know, it felt a little too limited for me, but like it, it's the first episode. I'm willing to give it some time, you know, and, and go from there. I thought they went a little heavy with the violence at times, especially with yeah. Matt Smith's um, oh, shit. rating. Of, yeah, of, that's one word for it. Yeah, to put it mildly. And I know he caught a lot of flack online for the for an infamous nude scene, but it's like people, it's Game of Thrones this is kind of what oh, they do. So are you not used to this by now? Yeah, I was going to say, like that's how you could kind of tell who's watched Game of Thrones and who yeah, hasn't. Yeah, yeah. And for a lot of the regular fans, this was like, eh, I but, mean, Matt Smith was in a brothel, and I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, okay, this it, is normal. It, it didn't shatter the internet. Like, I figured, like, well, if they did this in Morbius, I mean, who knows what would happen. But I thought his character really was the one breakout from this episode. Yeah. Everybody else, I don't want to say played it safe, but, like, you touched upon, it's world building. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was almost like in the sense we're taking our time yeah. to really show who these characters are. Right. And I thought by the time we got done with this episode – maybe we're going to start going into a, a a certain direction. Well, I think the thing for Matt Smith is I think he wasn't afraid to shy away from that spotlight. Well, he shouldn't be. Of like of like a big name production, you know, and, and by big name, I mean the title of the show, that it's Game of Thrones mm-hmm. because he stepped into Doctor Who, you know, one of the longest, if not the longest running sci-fi series on television. Yeah. You know, he stepped into Doctor Who. He was on Terminator, which... Let's face it, movie, not that great. Still, was able to step into a Terminator movie. You know, he was also able to play, you know, uh, Prince Philip on on The Crown. You know, obviously a huge role there. He's never been one to shy away from those big roles and fulfill them, you know. And, and I think this is just another example for him. We're like, hey, I'm not afraid of this. I'm going to go into this full teeth. 
And that's what he needed to do. And I think especially with somebody with as high of a profile as he has right now. Yeah. Because let's face it, he is a very big name in Hollywood. Like, we all know him from Doctor Who. Sure. And obviously, he's been getting some more featured roles in the bigger pictures right now. Yeah. But this is something that he is going to be tagged to as probably the most recognized character of the show. For right now, yeah. For For right now, yeah. For right now. Like I say, we still have a long way to go. But as for I'm walking away from the show, he's the only one who stood out. Because as this show opens up, and like I say, it was kind of a little confusing because you're dealing with the old King Targaryen's reign mm-hmm. that there is his heir to the throne is kind of up in the air. Yeah. And then they make a note of saying this is a 172 years before Daenerys Targaryen. And they made a point of saying at the outset, cause they gave that whole like opening title title sequence of like explaining what's going on. And like I said, they made a point to prove or say that, Hey, this isn't game of Thrones. Cause it's like, Oh, this is, you know, it's 172 years before Daenerys Targaryen's reign and all the other words cut out or faded away, except for 172 years before Daenerys Targaryen. They're like, Hey, listen, if we can't drill this home enough, this ain't game of Thrones. Yeah. Which I did like, I really thought they did a good point about that because I noticed that immediately. I'm like, Ooh, that's deliberate. Yeah, because you're going to have a lot of fans that are, are wanting this to be a sequel. And yeah. it's like, yeah, this it's, is not going to be a sequel. This is going to end badly for somebody. We don't know who, but as we know, the old king is now has to figure out who's going to have the throne. Yeah, because his sons are dead. Yep, there's a great council. Uh-huh. And they're deciding, okay, who's going to be the future heir? Which, I mean, if you paid attention to history throughout the years of uh, any monarchy, whenever the king dies and there's no heir, it's always clean cut and always easy to figure out. Yeah. But you he, can't tell. I'm being sarcastic. Yeah, but here now, it's not. So Jerry's uh, grandchildren mm-hmm. are the two prime suspects. Yep. Pad, who are they? Uh, that is Princess uh, Rhaenys Targaryen and Prince Viserys Targaryen. Yes. So this is setting up for the initial Game of Thrones-esque who's, mm-hmm. who's going to get the crown. So it is kind of an interesting scenario as they're trying to pick out who's going to take who. Yep. And... One is already kind of eliminated because how it's been set up is it has to be a male that is the, so, yeah, the king. It's the law of the land that, like, it could be a woman if there's no other male, but the male, the first male heir or first male designer, whatever it is, gets precedent. Yeah, so it's kind of an odd situation with that, but we do see that that is chosen. So mm-hmm. we do see that it's now King Viserys Targaryen, mm-hmm. who's played by Patty Constantine, Yep, is now the ruler of the kingdom. Yep. He's so, the king of Westeros. Yes. So now we start going into his reign, and then this is where you're starting to see like a loose alliance this yeah. form. Yeah, because they time jump from the time that they like have the Great Council, that then time jumps nine years into his reign, and then we really we really get into things. Yeah, it's it's wild. Yeah, like I say, they do a lot of time jumping in this, which I thought for a first episode. In my opinion, I don't think they should have done. I mean, it wasn't too bad. It was just like, hey, this is 172 years in the past. We have to set up kind of well. They had to give a little bit of. They gave a little bit of backstory of what's going on and what the fight is going to be about. But they didn't, for me, spend too much time on it and dwell on it. I was like, okay, we're just here. We're setting this up and we're going. Yeah, because they they do just jump in there quick. But as you're seeing, the king is already having his own problems, and one is the prince Damien Targaryen, played by mm-hmm. the one only Matt Smith, mm-hmm. who is kind of 
got some anger issues. Yeah, he's kind of got like a mix of Joffrey, a little bit of Negan from The Walking Dead, but like the cold calculating features of uh, 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 Tyrion Lannister, uh, Peter Dinklage's character. Yeah, Game like, of Thrones. like he's got a lot of complexity to him. Like that's why I say he really stood out above everybody else. Mm-hmm. And as you're seeing, like he is absolutely insane. And to the nth degree, yeah. Yeah, like you can already tell he's such a loose cannon, and as you're seeing that he's in charge of the military force there. Which is an interesting prospect, but oh boy. Yeah, it's a wild scenario because as he's showing a demonstration of force, they do not pull any punches about the graphic nature yeah. of how they go about this. No, and I think this is a precursor to the King's Watch, or King's Guard, I think is yes. what they were called, it, because they're the City Watch, but like they're still talking about wearing gold and the gold this and gold that, and I'm like... I wonder if these guys aren't eventually going to become the King's Guard down the road. Yeah, like it's it's something that you see like the early formations of, but yep. under Damien's rule, though, they're slaughtering people left and right. Yeah, there's like this mass, I don't even know what you want to call this damn thing, but like basically anyone who committed a crime gets dragged out in the middle and uh, your punishment is based on your crime. You raped a woman, well, yeah, that gets cut off. Yep. You know, you you stole something, you your arm gets cut off. You murdered someone, you get killed. You know, it's eye for an eye, you know, and the council talks about this and they're like, "What the fuck? We got to figure this out. We got to rein him in." And he comes and talks about it. he's like, "Hey, listen, we've got this thing going on. You know, all these dignitaries are coming in." into the city and the last thing we want to deal with is having them getting like assaulted or or robbed you know so hey i did you a favor yeah as you're seeing like he's going there he's cutting people's penises off he's cutting people's hands off he's cutting yeah like there and the one thing is with game of thrones too they don't shy away from the graphic nature so if you have a squeamish stomach Mm -hmm. watch at your own risk that's the easiest way to describe it because i know some people were like freaking out like Oh my god! And that's why I, I said do not watch Game of Thrones. You know, but that's why I said like I think for this first episode they went a little over the top with it because bit. because they wanted to establish how fucking nuts he is. Exactly. Like there was ways you could do this, but it was like okay, like we are going on almost like the borderline horror movie aspect. Like when somebody goes really over the top with like the violence. Like I said, it didn't bother me, but I was like, okay, this is very noteworthy that they're going over the top with it. And as you see, he's plotting, too, about mm-hmm. taking the throne as well because he's sitting there just watching everything because, as we know, the king's uh, queen yep. is now pregnant. So and pregnant and has yet to give him a male heir. So, again, you know, here we are nine years into this king's reign. And, all, again, you know, the uh, question of succession, you know, and who's going to take over is back up in the air because, hey, there's no son. Who do we got going to take over next? And, and they're like, please be a son, please be a son, please be a son in this uh, queen's belly. Yes, so as this is going on, the king is celebrating the possible heir by having a tournament. Yep. And this goes completely sideways. Well, I mean, it starts off innocently enough. There's a joust, and they're jousting, and they're doing this stuff. But then, you know, the cooler heads don't prevail. You know, people start getting killed wholesale in the middle of the goddamn thing. Yeah. So this is where... You see a fight literally break out between Sir Kristen Cole, mm-hmm. who's played by Fabian Fankel, and Matt Smith's character, Damien. Yep. And they go completely trying to kill each other. Yeah. Which, I mean. I think a shield was used at one point to take the other dude's head off. Yes. It was wild. Yeah. So it that turns into an absolutely insane scenario that goes on. Mm-hmm. And then you see that. Queen Amima mm-hmm. is now getting told like she is not going to survive childbirth, and, and this and, is this is it all in the middle of this tournament. Yeah, so like yeah, it's like, kinda, there's a weird setup they have. For well, this. yeah, because the king's there and he's like, hey, let's start the festival, blah blah blah. 
And then he's like, let's hope for a good pregnancy. And I, and if I remember right, he even announces to the crowd that she's in labor yeah. or something. And he's like, hey, I got to go. She's in labor. And everyone's like, yay. And then he gets up there and they're like, hey, we're having issues. Like, the, I forget what it was specifically, but like the kid was turned sideways yeah, was, or something during the childbirth. And they're like, we can't move him. Yeah. And this ain't exactly modern science, you know, mm-hmm. so they can't exactly do anything about this. They're like, we're giving her everything we we can do, but it, it just ain't working. Cut back to the, the tournament and the tournament stuff happens. Then we cut back to, her, uh, you know, the birthing and the, and the doctor or maester or whatever the person is goes, all right, listen, there comes a point in this situation in every husband's uh, decision where they got to make a decision. What are you talking about? You can either save one life or you can potentially save no lives. Yeah. You know, you, you either got to try, you got to either try and save the mother while giving birth to the kid and you might lose them both. Or you can only save the kid and sacrifice the mother. Yeah. So, what happens, Pat? Uh, he chooses to say, if doesn't he choose to save the kid? And yeah, he tries saving the kid. Tries but... saving the kid, and so the mother dies, but then also the kid dies. Yeah. So back at square one, no male heir. Yeah. So obviously, it's a very intense scene that goes on too while this is happening, and this does not pull any punches either. So the acting was very spot on mm-hmm. for this. Like this is a very powerful scene. This yeah, happening. it was. So from the result of this. You have the hand of the king at this time. Now, this is a a phrase that we've heard many, many times. Yes, we have. So Otto Hightower Mm -hmm. is the hand who's played by Rice's Ifens. And he basically says, you know, you should go with the one heir that you have. Because the count, this is now the council has reassembled. And they're like, hey, we got to figure this out right now. Yes. You know, and he he says, you know, uh, Viserys, you know, your only living child, you should do it, you know. Uh, you know, then somebody else says, oh, it should be Princess uh, Rhaenyra should be the ne- the next heir to the Iron Throne. And they're going back and forth, arguing, arguing, arguing. And the king just basically goes, hey, listen, you fucks. I just lost my wife and my child. How about you all fuck off and we'll decide this later? Yeah. But then once Damien comes in there, because the entire episode, he's been plotting on the throne, too. In fact, he even sits on the throne, which is like sacrilegious. He sits on the throne. Uh, his uh, what is it? Rhaenyra finds him and because she gets told he's there and she goes, does anybody else know he's here? No. He's so he snuck into King's Landing and snuck in and sat on the Iron Throne without well, without with one person knowing. Yeah. So he's been plotting this the entire time. And Rhaenyra knows that. That's what's happening. And that, that scene with him in the Iron Throne was so wonderfully shot because it's just him like kind of covered in darkness. He kind of really can't see him until he comes out. Mm-hmm. And it just goes to plays that he's always had that foreshadowing going on with him. So by the mm-hmm. time this goes to the end of the episode, Viserys claims that Rare is going to be the ruler of the kingdom. She's going to be the heir to the Iron Throne. Yeah. So Rhaenyra is going to be the one that's everybody's going to be gunning for right now. And you've seen the seeds get planted with Damien, who they have been like allies there. And you can definitely see the connection, but he's obviously plotting for something more. Mm-hmm. And that's how the episode ends. It's kind of an intense episode. Like I admit, like I say, you see a lot of uh, Damien this episode in more ways than one. Obviously, <laughs> there, there's a brothel scene that I know the internet was buzzing about. Yeah. You saw a lot more of Matt Smith than yeah. anybody's bargaining for. But hey, it's Game of Thrones. Like it's Game of Thrones, you should. Uh, it comes with the territory. Mm-hmm. And like I say, it's it's a very powerful scene that goes on with Queen Amima, that when she yeah. is going through childbirth and doesn't yeah. make it through. Like I say, the acting was very very strong yeah. for this episode. Yeah, it was. So like you have to take that scene. But like I say, it's it's. The one thing with this franchise, they don't pull anything back. No, they don't. So, like, you have to know this going into it. And I thought for, like, at certain points in this episode, they really went heavy with it. I mean, the one thing I will say is at least they didn't show us the penis fully chopping off. 
Yeah. Like they like they 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 did it, but it was from like the back view. You know, you didn't see it full on in in the act. Yeah, no. It, it, they definitely handled that, but they definitely gave the impression like when they're cutting off limbs and such. Yeah. Like they say, they weren't really were trying to establish of how barbaric this time was. Like mm-hmm. I mean, that's one thing people have to realize. Like, there's no real civil demeanor so to speak like everybody's fighting even when we get to the joust session yeah, yeah. you see damien trip up the horse yeah on, on the knights yeah and obviously they're trying to go for the kills there so it's it's interesting to see how they're playing this up but for a first episode like i say i thought it was it was a good it was a good intro like it was okay like i like i say i'm not blown away by it, it was good. yeah no it was good you know it was enjoyable you know it was, it was world building and we'll, we'll see where it goes yeah exactly so a lot to digest from this episode, so we gave you our takes. Now we want to hear yours, ODPH Society. Hit up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts of House of the Dragon, episode one, entitled Heirs of the Dragon? So give us your thoughts. We give you ours. So that being said, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome to Talking Shiz. I am CJ. And I am Maddox. And our podcast... It's like a radio show. We have no certain topics. We talk about anything and everything. And our opinions don't matter. And we do have a pod page. What is our pod page where folks can find our platforms and what we're all about, Maddox? I'm glad you asked. As a matter of fact, that is podpage.com forward slash talking without a G uh, dash shiz. And that's where our it's our one-stop shop. It has everything there. It has all of our donation links. It has all of the content that we have created, our recent related reviews. And it even gives you where you can find us on different applications such as Google, uh, iHeartRadio, you name it. We're in almost in every single uh, branch of applications out there. So please check it out. There's even if you want to become an official shizzler, we even have merchandise. So definitely go there, check it out, and yeah, it's literally the best one-stop shop. Absolutely, and sharing is caring, so make sure you guys share, share, share. We're on Twitter, and that's talking underscore shiz. Instagram, talking underscore shiz. We have Facebook. We got our pod page. We have different platforms, Apple Music, Spotify, what Maddox said. We are everywhere, so definitely check us out, and we definitely appreciate you guys listening. Yes, thank you guys, and we'll see you on one of our episodes. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what do you got? I uh, got some breaking news. Breaking? Uh, yeah, breaking news. Hey, they waited until we recorded to break this news. Reading from an article on Deadline.com. Uh, the title's a long one, so bear with me. Uh, title says, quote, Aquaman 2 heads to Christmas 2023. Shazam! Fury of the Gods moves to March. HBO Max picks House Party and Evil Dead Rise going theatrical. Warner Brothers release date changes. So the article reads, quote, exclusive. Deadline has learned that Warner Brothers is moving a slew of release date changes next year. First of all, James Wan's Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom needs more time in post-production, so it's moving from March 17th, 2023 to December 25th, 2023. You'll remember the first Aquaman was released during Christmas 2018 and made $335.1 million domestically, and worldwide is one of two $1 billion grossing DC picks alongside Todd Phillips' Joker. To backfill that March 17th space and also capitalize on an avatarless March, David F. Sandberg's Shazam! Fury of the Gods will be moving off its December 21st release date and heading to Aquaman 2's old date. 
uh, read, look how great the Batman was with its March opening and at $334 million and finalizing, finaling at $369.3 million. Uh, another thing, Shazam 2 will have access to IMAX screens on its new date, a premium ticket format that Disney will otherwise be sh- uh, sopping up this December with Avatar The Way of Water. Close quote. Uh, so that's the ones we wanted to mention. And so I know a lot of people are shocked, bummed. Oh, no, this is another release, or another issue or another L for DC. Not quite. I not mean, really. Not really. I mean, I'm reading from David F. Sandberg's personal Twitter account, which you can find it at Pony Smasher, uh, P-O-N-Y Smasher. Uh, he's, uh, he quote tweeted the deadline tweet and said, quote, while I'm an impatient bastard who wants who wants people to see it as soon as possible, the film will be fully done in just a few weeks. The move makes sense since Avatar was taking all IMAX slash PLF screens. Fury of the Gods is a big movie and should be seen big. And hey, it's still three months earlier than our first release date. Close quote. So shocking, a little surprising. But when you take it to that, and, and honestly, that's not entirely surprised that they want to move it out of the behemoth that is going to be Avatar 2. We'll see what it does box office wise. You know, whether a movie that came out 10, 12 years ago, whatever the hell it is, can still be a box office hit. Regardless, they're still scooping up all of the IMAX screens, which is something that obviously the folks at Warner Brothers are going to want to put uh, Shazam 2 on. Yeah, I think this is a smart move. I mean, obviously, Avatar is going to draw people out just for the spectacle. Like, yeah. like the first week with Avatar is going to be one to watch. Oh, yeah. Because if you didn't grow up during that time frame, Avatar is just known for being a 3D movie. Pretty much. Like, that's that's the whole thing. Story's nothing to write home about. Yeah. It. It's Pocahontas in space. But it, you went and saw it for, you know, I, I was even not remember being on the fence about seeing it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, oh, I don't really know if I want to go see it. And they're like, listen, the story's so-so. Go for the special effects. And the special effects in the 3D were amazing. Yeah, so that's the only reason why. But I understand why DC wants to play it safe. I don't take this as being an L. I think this no. is a smart move. Like, I, I'm going to give him credit because I think with what Warner Brothers is trying to do with working with DC, or I mean, working with Discovery and DC, yeah. they're really trying to be smart about getting somebody to lead that ship. And, yeah. you know, like we talked about this a couple episodes ago. They want to get somebody in there that's going to be the Kevin Feige. They want to get somebody. So I think this buys a little more time mm-hmm. to obviously, okay, whatever happens after this movie. Yeah, we now have a plan in place. Well, and, and Warner Brothers might be looking at like projections and just how Avatar Two is going to do, and they're like, "Listen, if we put Shazam Two, which we we know is they know is going to do well, mm-hmm. you know, if we put it out against Avatar Two with no IMAX screens, we're they're just going to get eviscerated at the box office. Exactly. So they're looking like, hey, we want to make our money back on this movie, and doing it at the same time frame as Avatar Two is recipe for a loss. Exactly. So no argument about this. No. One. Uh, switching, sticking with some uh, box office news and came as a surprise to us uh, and certainly a surprise to a lot of people. Moving into the number six spot in the domestic all-time lifetime grossing films of all time. Number one, uh, you've got Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens at $936.6 million. Number two, you've got Avengers Endgame at $858.3 million. And if you're going, wait, why is Avengers Endgame number two? Folks, this is domestic. This isn't uh, worldwide. Mm-hmm. Number three, Spider-Man No Way Home at $804.7 million. Uh, number four, Avatar with $760.5 million. Number five, Black Panther, $700.4 million. And creeping in to the number six spot, beating out the likes of Avengers Infinity War, Top Gun Maverick. Get out of here. The, listen, folks. It won't go away. It won't go away. It's still showing in theaters. I looked at our own theaters. It's still got four showtimes at our local Regal Cinema. My God, man. You know, this past weekend, it was number four at the box office, grossing $5.9 million. 
it's insane the number of weeks this damn thing has been in in studios or theaters. According to BoxOfficeMojo.com, last weekend was its thirteenth week in the in in uh, theaters. The only thing that even comes close is Jurassic World Dominion at eleven uh, in terms of massive releases, and then after that, you've got to go to like the Black Phone at nine, uh, Elvis is at Elvis is at uh, nine, you know, Minions: Rise of Gru is at eight. The fact that we're still thirteen weeks in. You know, it's out digitally, if I'm not mistaken. You know, it's going to be coming out on Blu-ray soon. But the fact that it's still being shown in theaters is wild. You know, like this reminds me when Titanic came out. Sure. And and I'm going to say this in, in I'm just going to ask you, Pat. Do you know anybody that's going to theaters to watch this? Not not currently. When it first, right. When it first came out. When sure. it first came out. Yes. Yeah. But you no. Know, but now. No. So it's like, who the heck is still going to see this after all this time? I have no idea. Like, like uh, at this point, they got to be on their like twelve, tenth or eleventh viewing. Yeah, like, which, this hey, is, more power to you. This is the same thing with Titanic. When Titanic was in the theaters, like it, it was always like ranking high in the box office. Like, who is still going to see this? It's a good movie. I'll I mean, say that. Sure. I mean, like, I still have to go see it. I mean, hell, maybe they're waiting for me to go, and then they're gonna finally pull it. I could be the kiss of death about that one. Still, though, mind-blowing this is all going yeah. down. Uh, and sticking with movies, I did see a movie this past weekend. It happened to be the number one bo- movie at the box office domestically. Uh, no, it was not Beast. No, it was not Bullet Train, uh, which were two and three, respectively. It was the number one movie at the box office, grossing $21.1 million, Dragon Ball Super, Superhero. Uh, this movie was absolutely phenomenal. Like I said, it grossed $21.1 million domestically. Uh, currently, it is at $24.2 million domestically. Internationally, $25.4 million. Uh, and then so for a worldwide total, it has $49,686,917. This movie is a lot of fun. Um, if you are a fan of Dragon Ball, but you haven't seen everything, you do not have to worry about that going okay. in, going into this movie. Because right at the outset, because the main uh, villain in the movie is the Red Ribbon Army, making the return from the original Dragon Ball series. So if you haven't seen the original Dragon Ball series for whatever reason, or you haven't seen all of Dragon Ball Z or Super... Don't worry about it because the movie starts once you get past literally once you get past the the you know company intros you mm. know so Toei animation and all this other stuff first thing you see is like a little brief history of what happened with the Red Ribbon Army about how Goku defeated them in the original Dragon Ball and then you know Doctor Jiro is, is escaped and then he tried bringing them back in Dragon Ball Z and everything that happened in Dragon Ball Z so if you haven't caught up on anything for whatever reason you know understandable don't worry about it. You, you will get caught up with what you need to know in this movie. Mm. You know, and then also, this is the most recent thing to take place with the anime. I know the manga is in a whole different place with this. <laughs> yeah. Ballsy stuff they've been doing with that. But you don't have to worry about that either because they fill you in enough with what's been going on that you kind of get a fill-in. The movie's awesome. It's a lot of fun. There were some points because this is the first move Dragon Ball movie they've done where it's all CGI. Mm-hmm looked good but there were some points of it that i was like ah this is a little odd you know it could have used a little bit of touching up or maybe some polishing here sure stories stories a dragon ball story you know it's shenanigans ensue uh, enemy rises when they think everything is peaceful and quiet you know but the thing they have to contend with in this movie is goku and vegeta aren't there goku and vegeta are off on another planet training you know and and bulma tries getting a hold of them but they're not there to they they can't get a hold of them to bring them in. So it's like, well, fuck, you know, we got to deal with what we can. So it's almost like the you know, no disrespect to the other folks. We basically got to get the B squad yeah. together to kind of hold things together 
and, and save the world. So like I said, it's a fun movie. If you're into anime, you should definitely check it out. If you're into Dragon Ball, you should absolutely Dragon Ball, you should absolutely check it out. Uh, there's one scene in the movie which was fucking wild and I did not see coming. Uh, I don't want to spoil it, but no, like I said, it's a great movie. You should absolutely go check it out. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not the biggest DBZ guy, so hearing about this from a lot of people and yourself too, like this is something that's a very interesting film, and mm-hmm. I think the fact that it came off so well, I mean, this is only going to be something bigger and better down the road. Yeah, uh, sticking with movies, uh, we got a release date for the Knives Out sequel, Glass Onion. Uh, so we got a release date, and we got the cast list confirmed. So reading from an article on Variety.com says, "quote Daniel Craig is ready to revive his Southern accent." Glass Onion, the sequel to 2019's Who Done It Smash Knives Out, will debut on Netflix December 23rd, as well as be released in select theaters on an on a to-be-announced date. The global Netflix release will follow the film's premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival in September. In addition, the streamer confirmed that the Ryan Johnson-directed picture will receive an awards-qualifying theatrical run in select theaters, but not give a date or clarify how large it would be. Considering Knives Out was a surprise success for a mid-budget original property, grossing over $100 million in the U.S. and $200 million worldwide, theater owners will likely be eager to have the highly anticipated movie play in their venues. Although plot details remain under wraps, Glass Onion, a Knives Out uh, Knives Out mystery, is set to see Craig return as Benoit Blanc, a brilliant Southern private detective. The new film is set to follow Blanc as he investigates a completely separate mystery from the original film. This one's set in Greece. Johnson, who returns as director and writer, assembled an all-star cast to match the original ensemble with Edward Norton, Janelle Monet, Leslie Odom Jr., Katherine Hahn, Jessica Henwick, Madeline Klein, Kate Hudson, Dave Bautista, and Ethan Hawke on the film's suspect list. Close quote. I cannot wait for this movie to come out. I saw the trailer for this and having not heard a word about it. Just said, oh, film from Ryan Johnson. Saw the trailer. Film from Ryan Johnson. Saw the cast and went, holy fuck, that's a good cast. Watched the trailer and went, it's a fucking good trailer. That's loaded. Showed it. Well, this is the first one. Mm -hmm. Showed the first trailer to my girlfriend when we were shopping. When I'm like, hey, I just saw this trailer at the movies the other night. I think we might want to see this. She saw the trailer and she looked at me and her first words were, we have to see this movie. Yeah. And we saw the movie and we went, that was one, it was one of the best movies we saw that year. It, the movie is that damn good. So they announced the sequel and I'm like, hell yes. So December 23rd cannot come soon enough because that cast for Knives Out 2, loaded. It's that loaded. Like you couldn't skip it the first time around. That's where I was going with that. Like you really have to go check this movie out. And then the fact they're going for a sequel. Mm-hmm. I mean, this kind of has like the Ocean's Eleven vibe to it. Like they really bit. are loading up the cast and, and rightfully so. Like they say, it's, it's definitely a dope film. So you definitely want to go check that out. Switching over to some uh, streaming news, uh, come to find out from the folks over at Variety, Disney Plus is working on a King Kong live action series. Really? Yeah, so the article reads, quote, a live action series about the origin of King Kong is an early development at Disney Plus, Variety has confirmed. The series would be a serialized drama that would explore Kong's origins as well as the mysteries of his home, Skull Island. The series would be based on the original King Kong written by Marion C. Cooper, as well as new novelizations by artist Joe DeVito, produced in conjunction with Cooper's estate. Stephanie Folsom, who recently developed the Amazon series Paper Girls for television, will write and executive produce the King Kong show. James Wan, Michael Clear, and Rob Hackett will will also executive produce on behalf of Atomic Monster, along with Danny Festa for World Builder Entertainment. Disney branded television will produce. Uh, 
The original King Kong film de uh, debuted in 1933 and became an instant hit. The character has been used in numerous films to date. Most recently, the legendary Warner Brothers MonsterVerse films. Uh, those include Kong Skull Island, King Godzilla vs. Kong. Netflix has also has the Skull Island anime series on the way. Peter Jackson also remade the original film in 2005 with Adrian Brody, Jack Black, and Naomi Watts. Uh, so close quote. So the reason this is happening and this is, has absolutely got to know this has absolutely nothing to do with the movies, uh, Warner brothers and legendary has made the reason this is able to be made because you might be wondering, wait, how are they able to do this? If you know, Warner brothers has been making those movies, the, the character is in public domain. So much in the same way that like mm. Winnie, Winnie the Pooh just went public domain and there's that weird ass horror. Winnie yeah. The, the Winnie horror the Pooh one coming because the book character went public domain. So basically anyone can do whatever the hell they want with the character. So that's why they're able to do this uh, television series. See, it's interesting, though. Like, I, I'm not faulting them for trying to do a King Kong movie. Like, I think that's going to be something very interesting. But aren't they doing Godzilla vs. Kong? Uh, they're doing something like, an, like another doing, movie of the franchise. They're so. doing something that was all I know was always kind of up in the air just because I think the last one was technically the last one in the agreement between Warner brothers and the studio that technically owns the rights to Godzilla, you know, but then it's rights. It's confusing. Yeah. Like I say, it's confusing, but I'm just surprised they're going to even go that route because that's almost like free pub for them. Yeah. Like that's, that's the way I look at it, but you know, I'm still going to check out the show though. I think oh, it definitely sounds too. interesting. Uh, and then switching back over to some movie news or potential movie news. We'll see. I'm, I'm not holding my breath on this one. Uh, Dan Harmon, uh, the creator, uh, one of the creators of the TV show Community, had, of course, six seasons in a movie. We got, mm -hmm. our, we got our six seasons. Still waiting on a movie. Seven years later after the show ended. Still waiting. Uh, reading from an article on uh, Variety.com. says, quote, Ever since the show's sixth and final season in 2015, fans of Community have been uh, uh, longing for a movie, an idea that has been teased for over eight years. On Monday, however, the series creator, Dan Harmon, offered the most concrete update on yet on the project. There is an, out, there is an outline for it, Harmon told Newsweek. There's a product put together and pitched out in the world. I guess that's how real it is, close quote. Harmon was hesitant to continue riling fans up, though, adding, that's probably enough that, that'll make people mad when there's nothing a year from now. It still doesn't mean that there's going to be a movie tomorrow. It means there it is definitely going to be one. Uh, the fan uh, the fan that Instagrams every day about community, how can you tell them, yes, it's definitely going to happen, but it may be between one and eight years from now, which is how the industry works, especially when you factor in pandemics and whatnot. It just feels like uh, psychological torture from a fan's perspective to keep looking into the backseat of a station wagon and saying, who wants McDonald's? And to just keep driving down the freeway. I don't want to be guilty of causing that sensation. It just takes so long sometimes. Close quote. So if you're a fan of community, that's one thing I know they teased during the show six seasons in a movie. You know, they got five seasons before it was canceled on NBC. Yahoo, Yahoo of all people revived it for a sixth season. So we got the sixth season and now everyone's been waiting for a movie. I mean, I, during the pandemic, I was looking for shows to watch. You know, I watched community, love the hell out of it. You know, it was a great show. You know, so I'm I'm one of those waiting for a movie, but like at this point, it's been you know eight years that they've been teasing this, or and even you know five years or whatever it is, five years since seven years since they you know the show ended. That I'm like, listen, I'm not gonna hold my breath when it happens. It happens. Yeah, I'm with you on this. Like, I wouldn't mind seeing this movie, but at the same point. I need to physically be in a theater to believe it's actually happening. Mm -hmm. Like you guys have been talking about this for so damn long. Like I've just tuned out from it. Like I, I have yeah. no investment. I in mean, this. The, the entire cast is on board because there was a virtual reunion during 2020. The, the cast got together. They had a table read and there was a Q and a, 
and they were all asked, including Donald Glover, mm-hmm. if they would be on board to do a movie, and they all said yes. Now, whether that includes Chevy Chase, because <laughs> reasons. If you don't mm-hmm. know his whole thing with the show, uh, you can look online. We don't have nearly enough no, time, nearly no, enough time to get no, into no, that. No. That's a whole mess in and of itself. But it does appear that the entire cast, you know, for what we know, is on board to do a movie. So hopefully, it happens. Yeah, so wait and see, dot, dot, dot. Uh, and then switching over to some uh, television news, uh, we did. I did finally watch the f- series finale of Better Call Saul. Won't spoil it because it is absolutely something you should experience. Not as good a finale as Breaking Bad, and that's not me saying it's a bad finale. Sure. It's a great finale. It's a perfect finale for the series. Is it as good as Breaking Bad's finale? No, but it's still a perfect finale for the series. Is there an opportunity for them to do more? Maybe, you know, I, I think there's certainly some avenues you can take with that, you know, or go some different ways with that. I don't want to give absolutely anything away because, like I said, it's something that you should experience for yourselves. It's a great finale and it's something that you should honestly experience, you know. So with that in mind, we did get an update or kind of like a, some interesting news from uh, Breaking Bad creator Vince Gilligan and how he feels about Walter White these days. Hmm. Uh, so reading from an article on Yahoo Entertainment, it reads, quote, Walter White was never meant to wear a white hat, but the man who would become Heisenberg was still someone Breaking Bad fans rooted for to a point. But time and distance can reshape perspectives, even for Vince Gilligan, Breaking Bad creator and executive producer, who seems to have had a complete change of heart about his complex antihero. In a Q&A with The New Yorker, Gilligan bites hard on the hand of the protagonist that fed him for five Emmy-heavy seasons, and his opinion of Walter White only worsens with time. Quote, The further away I get from Breaking Bad, the less sympathy I have for Walter, Gilligan said moments after musing on a much sunnier recent ending for his spinoff series, Better Call Saul. Walt got thrown a lifeline early on, Gilligan said, and if he had been a better human being, he would have swallowed his pride and taken the opportunity to treat his cancer with the money his former friends offered him, close quote. I mean, he's not wrong. No, he's really not. No, but that's one thing over time. Like, anybody that's still trying to be on the Walter White bandwagon, mm-hmm. it's really tough. It's it's tough. Like, it, it's a fascinating watch, and he's a very interesting character. I would argue one of the most interesting characters in television history. Oh, absolutely. But he's he's in that same vein of, like, Tony Soprano. Like, you're not supposed to like him. Yeah, but he's, he's a piece of shit. But he's so charismatic because of Brian Cranston. Like, that's, oh, all, absolutely. That, that's the whole thing about it, so you can't turn away absolutely. from it. Absolutely. So... So for my one shots, I'm uh, going to keep it pretty short, though. We are going to talk Tales of the Walking Dead. We w- And we would have made this a full segment, but in full uh, full confidence or, you know, full disclosure. full disclosure. Thank you. I didn't see the episode because I went to go see Dragon Ball Super Superhero on Sunday, which is the night uh, Tales of the Walking Dead airs. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I knew I had a chance of not seeing it because the showtimes here locally for Dragon Ball Super have been very limited. You know, in the last showtime that I was able to see that night was at 710. So, of course, as you know, anyone knows with movies, it never starts at exactly 710. Sure. Started at like 730. So the movie didn't get over until like 905. So the episode had already started. So I'm like, oh, hey, no, no big deal. I know with Walking Dead, they usually have the show. You know, Talking Dead, and then they'll re-air the show. So I'm like, oh, they will probably re-air the episode. So I'm sitting there while the credits are rolling on Dragon Ball, looking at the sh- uh, at the listings on my phone, going, all right, they, all right, it's on now. Are they going to air it afterwards? Fuck no, they're not. So I was like, oh, they're right. No, no big deal. I'll be able to just buy it on iTunes and, and watch it that way. It's, we're we're sitting here recording multiple days after the episode has aired. It is still not up on iTunes, so I still have not seen the episode yet. Well, to be honest with you, Pad. I will give this, I'll, I'll do the spoiler free for you. 
I don't think you missed that much. Okay. Now, I'm going to word this saying I thought the episode was enjoyable. Okay. It's campy. And I think that might be like an underlying theme from the past two episodes. Next week's is going to be a lot different because next week is going to be Alpha's episode. Oh, okay. So that's obviously going to go in a different direction. But for what this episode was, it was the story of an insurance company and the boss who's running it, Parker Posey, Mm -hmm. and her connection with her receptionist, Gina. And if you've, it was played by Jillian Bell, who they were fantastic in the role because. It goes and borrows from the movie Run, Lola, Run. Which I do enjoy. Yeah. They're basically doing Groundhog Day. Oh, Lord. Of the day the outbreak happened in Atlanta. Okay. So for every twist and turn they do, they still can't escape. They both get killed. Right. But they do remember what happened prior. So it's kind of like a weird back and forth. It's a fun episode. Don't get me wrong. Right. But it kind of goes in a little bit different directions, and it's a lot of, like, the same old stuff, like, because they know what what is happening. Like, they know, okay, well, we have to stop X person from shooting this. We have to get the gun from this person. We mm-hmm. have to get the tr- uh, tanker from this person. So, like, they understand what's going on until it, like, gets to the very end, and then it's, it's like, still, they can't escape what's happening. So, it was a fun episode for that degree. Like, was it my favorite one? No. I think it's it's a lot to follow, like especially if you don't like Groundhog Day or Run Lola Run, where they go back in time a lot. Mm-hmm. The only thing that really stuck out with me this episode is there's an iconic scene from season one, and it is the highway scene. Okay. Of the cars one way all leaving Atlanta yeah. and the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of see the origin of that. Mm, okay. So if not, if I'm not mistaken, that's the cover art for season one's uh, Blu-ray DVD release. Yes. Okay. So you kind of see an origin for that. Okay. Which, which like that's the only that's cool. That's the only kind of cool takeaway from this. But okay. it's basically everybody has like a weird happy ending, sort of, so to speak. Like I, it honestly, it kind of loses me a little bit because right. They every time you think they're like now back in the regular timeline, they go back in the loop. Or back in the the Groundhog Day rewind, like it's kind of confusing in that aspect. So, like I say, if but the one thing I always criticize them about is everything so the same and cookie cutter. This is a different episode. I can't be mad at him about this, right? But definitely threw me off guard. Didn't connect with me that much. But I will say I was I was actually really laughing at Jillian Bell and Parker Posey's response because they hammed it up too sure. completely for this. So sure, I can't be mad at him about this, and I think that. It's enjoyable for something different. Not my favorite thing I've ever watched. A little confusing, but overall, it plays into what this show is going to be, and that's something different, which I can respect. So next week should be a lot more interesting, though, with Alpha, though. Unfortunately, I won't be able to watch. Mm. No, actually, no, I can because it uh, all outs the following week. Thought it was that week. Oh, yes, I have to remember that. Uh, so that being said, we're going to take a trip around the comic shops this week. So. Uh, really loaded lineup this week. I gotta, oh. I gotta say this. Robin by uh, Josh Williamson has been the raves of raves. Hmm. If you have not checked the series out, so I definitely say you gotta go check. You have to pick up. It's the last issue of this uh, current run right now. Roger Cruz is on the artwork, and it's something you definitely want to get into. Uh, Robin Seventeen by DC Comics definitely recommend that. Uh, from Image Comics. Radiant Black, number 17. No, I've said. Yeah, exactly. Kyle Higgins, Marcelo Costa, doing big things. Radiant Yellow is getting a big feature in this, so if you've been following what's going on with the Supermassive Universe, 
definitely a big issue to watch. Speaking of Supermassive, now out on trade paperback, Rogue Sun Volume 1. So Ryan Parrott enables epic uh, kickoff to the spin-out from Supermassive. Uh, the the teenage hero that has been a really creative run to watch too. I gotta say this. Uh, I know I get asked about why we haven't reviewed him in Parlay Points. I haven't gotten a press copy, otherwise. But I will always do a quick one shot because I do pick this issue up, uh, pick this series up. I think it's fantastic stuff, and definitely get this trade paperback before the next issue comes out because I believe that the next one is going to be the Choose Your Own Adventure book they're doing mm. like they do a lot of creative stuff over with the uh, I, d- I dig choose your own adventure yeah super massive uh brain trust there uh at black market narrative so right. like they're doing a lot of really cool things and i know when i heard first heard about this uh choose your own adventure style that ryan's planning on doing yeah i'm really intrigued with that issue but this is a perfect way to get caught up if you haven't picked up uh rogue sun so definitely make sure to swing on over the comic shops for that uh over on parlay points the picks this week from Comixology Originals, Scott Snyder, Dan Panishin's Canary. Hey. Number two is out, and let me tell you this. This book is phenomenal. Love this book. A horror western, and definitely gives you a lot of background about what's going on with the characters at play. Setting up a lot of things for how this series is going to take. I am fully all in about this. I think a lot of the books that is coming out from the Best Jacket Press line on Comixology are just top-notch. I rave about them all the time. And we have a little programming note for next week. Yes, we do. Pat, do you want to give it away? Nah, you can. So next week, we are going to be having Scott Snyder come on the ODPH to talk about these comic books and some more. And we are super excited to talk to him. Rich from 3FN is going to swing by for the interview. So definitely make sure to keep an ear out for that. We're definitely super excited to talk to Scott about just everything he's been doing with the Comixology line, like it's coming up on one year of Scott Tober and mm-hmm. everything that he has going on with this. And it's completely been a line that's revolutionized the comic game, in my opinion. And I cannot wait to talk to him about this. So definitely keep an ear out for that next week. Cannot wait to talk to him. Also, from, uh, the comic shops this week from Valiant Entertainment, Book of Shadows number two, Colin Bunn, Vincent Sofuentes. Uh, the team book that is definitely kicking on all cylinders, taking the supernatural heroes from the Valiant universe and giving them a big threat to go face. Mm. Uh, no sophomore slump here. Book is firing on all cylinders. A lot of good things happening, and I believe, unfortunately, the next issue will be out in January, Oof. just with everything that's been going on with Valiant oh, that, that, we, right. that we know about. We read about this last week. So they're ending on a strong note. I'm just the only thing I can say bad about it is I have to wait till January for the third issue. I'm hoping something changes and we get issue number three sooner than later, but we'll have to wait and see about that. But they definitely end things on a high note for right now. Uh, from Boom Studios, I took a flyer on something this week, Pad. Okay. Not something in my usual wheelbarrow, uh, but it's a Magic the Gathering spinoff. So Magic, hmm. a Johnny Goldmain. Hmm. Number one. So it's an introduction to a very popular character of the Magic the Gathering universe. Right. Now, obviously, I am not the biggest MTG guy. Neither am I. But Rich from 3FN definitely was. And he threw us a quote. And quote, a Johnny is one of the most beloved uh, planeswalkers in all of Magic. Magic players who wield the white mana decks or Orvo decks Mm -hmm. will always make room for a good Ajani. So it's a very popular character. Like he was saying, like, this is someone that... The fan base knows really well. Uh, this is a great introduction to the character. It's it's uh, it's him telling three stories of himself, right? To uh, his nieces and nephews. It's a very cool way they set up. They have three different artists on this to do the different stories. A lot of really cool things with this. So 
I recommend picking it up because it was something for me. I like trying new things. Am I saying I'm going to go full-blown MTG? No, but this was definitely a book that I definitely recommend to a lot of people. And last but not least, arguably the coolest book at the LCS. Okay. Bar none. Grim number four, Stephanie Phillips, Flaviano. Oh, my God. This whole this whole series has been spot on incredible since issue one. Nice. There's a reason it keeps going to like second print before the issues even come out. That's how dope this book is. Cannot recommend it highly enough. And, you know, maybe we'll get lucky and we'll, we'll throw some interviews out, you know, inquiries to come out because I definitely want to talk about this book more. I just am absolutely blown away by this every time. The artwork is just pops off the page. I'm going to try showing Pad some right now because, you know, I like to go for that honest reaction. Oh, that's like, nice. look how dope this that stuff is, is. That is good. Yeah, I mean, just and then just the, the shot of wow. Las Vegas. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to do a little spoiler here. They do wind up in Las Vegas. So nice. what does, you know, your new favorite uh, Soul Reaper and company do when they land in Las Vegas? Enough said. Just go pick up the issue. Trust me. Go get the back issues wherever you can find them. They're all definitely worth it. Go support your LCS Every time you get a chance, go support the comic industry because they're doing some fantastic work. Uh, and I've been told that I need to do some more on Patreon. So for all our patrons that are listening, if you want to get on board with that, one tier, two dollars, and a lot of content on the way. Uh, maybe I'll do a series dive about a uh, comic run. Hmm. I think that's where we're going because I keep getting told we need to talk more comics on here. So that being said, if you're supporting the local comic scene, I definitely will take that under consideration. So go support your favorite LCS and go support your favorite independent comic podcast. We're putting on a lot of work. That being said, Pat, music heard on this edition of the ODPH. Is that a shout at the robots? Mm-hmm. They're fantastic. They have a Patreon. Yes. I'm a proud member. They have a lot of cool stuff on there. I don't know if they're doing Porch Fest locally here in the 607, hmm. but if you are in the Binghamton area, as we are recording from, there is a very big music fest that is going on in uh, the city of Binghamton where people are going to be playing in front of houses. Yep. It's, it's a very cool vibe that's going on. A lot of the bands that you hear on the whole 607 Podcast Network are going to be playing, like Tom Jolu, Second Suitor. Uh, Floodlands is playing, apparently, too. I'm, I'm getting informed of that. But if I want to find about all these great musicians, where do I go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You go over there. You check out everybody there, even Brian Wolf, who's in Austin, Texas. If he was in town, he'd be playing there, too. Oh, absolutely. Who knows? He might even make a run in. I don't know nothing, but you know, hey, that's the only place you go find out because they post everything that if they're playing, they're going to be out there. So you definitely go support them. Also, while you're at the webpage, we are talking about Parlay Points. Blogs are all over the place. So if you need comic reviews, we got you covered. If you need pro wrestling talk that you don't get on the ODPH and 607TWS, it's right there in Blogscon anywhere. Dre Driven has a blog up right now. He gave a review of She-Hulk, episode one. Nice. And your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy, is going to be talking about his lacrosse journey if Mm -hmm. all things are aligning right now. Mm -hmm. He has said we're getting content. So stay tuned for that. But that's why you should be following the blogs because when he comes out with it, we're definitely going to be talking about it. Also, the classified section, which has friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcast, Dragon Master Games, go support the hell out of them right now. Seriously, you need to get down there. If you're in any kind of gaming in the 607 or internationally, I know they do some orders out of town, so you definitely want to go hit them up. Go support the hell out of them. Organizational links support, uh, supporting Black Lives Matter are on the website, too, as well. Voter registration. Cannot stress that enough right now. And a whole lot more, so you definitely want to go check the classified section out. The directory. Pat, how many providers are we on? 824,000. Sounds about right, but if we are not on your favorite podcast player, you need to let us know where you're listening to it from. Because on that directory, we have links to every single major player that you can listen to the podcast. So if you're like, hey, I listen to the show on Spotify, I need a link. Bam, right there. 
hey, I listen on Apple Podcasts. I want to drop you a five-star review. Thank you very much. Boom, it's right there. iHeartRadio, boom, it's right there. We make it so easy for you to follow the ODPH. I don't know what else we can do. I really don't. Also on the front page, we got the patrons. So definitely shout out again to So Wizard, SWO Productions, The Pint Podcast, and 3FN for supporting the brand as they do. We can't thank them enough. And one tier, $2, and a whole lot of content. Enough said right there. Link is right there. And the T Public Store is sale going on this week. If you want to get some ODPH swag, there is no better time. I'm telling you right now, I tell people, wait for the sale. Because I want you to get it for less because it means that much that you're actually supporting the brand. If it's anything and everything that is the ODPH, it can be found at odphpodcast.com. That's all for this week. So for the one and only Padawan J. Thank you. Thank you. I'm your host, Ken. Thank you as always for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.